Adam Pendlebury of Progress with Unity. You will be able to follow, as you have for the last nine seasons, uh, Wigan Athletics Progress. It is unofficial, unconnected to the club, but you have had some stellar interviewees, Owen Coyle, Gary Caldwell, Will Grigg, Paul Cook, uh, Player of the Year 2018, Nathan Byrne, and a chap called Andy Liddle, whose name means nothing to me. Um, Can you sell Andy Liddle to a Watford fan like me? Yeah, I could certainly can, yeah. So he's played played in the Premier League for Barnsley. First real big signing came in at the same time as a player called Simon Howarth. Um, Coventry was a record signing at the time, 650,000. Uh, Lidl came in for what is now a bargain, 350,000. And fans took to him straight away. A very hard-working striker, but he scored excellent goals as well. You know, he'd always chip in with uh, excellent goals and... Uh, that culminated eventually in 2004 in a live game against uh, Crystal Palace where he actually broke the league scoring record uh, for Wigan Athletic. He played through about four or five different managers and, and, and constantly scored. It was when Dave Whelan just changed the manager every year. <laughs> but little remained. He was still there and his career went on. He was... You know, he still would have offered something to us. I think even if in the Premier League, he would have offered something to us. But with any player, security of long, Wigan were not at the time uh, offering out long-term contracts for over thirty. So he, he took a took a three-year contract at Sheffield United. But yeah, great goals he scored, but quantity of goals as well. You know, so yeah, absolute absolute legend. One note: you might move on to this in a moment. Well, one note. Uh, noticeable absentee from your list that you just mentioned, of course, the Nathan Byrne 2018 player of the season. But we also went down to interview 2019 player of the season, Reese James, who should be running out for England this year. The, the Reese James? The Reese James, yeah. Wigan's player of the season on loan uh, two years ago in the Championship. After two games, you knew he was something special. Uh, he played at right back, but then ended up in midfield, and he was bossing midfields against uh, eighteen, nineteen years old against you know veteran sort of uh, yeah. veteran championship, brilliant, brilliant player, uh, really nice, nice guy as well. Um, you know, parents really nice, and I think he's got a great career ahead of him. Yeah, so that was uh, I've got that picture. I've got my picture myself and Simon from the podcast uh, picture with Reese James. So you never know. In a few years' time, that might be, might be worth a bit of money. I hope so. <laughs> yes, absolutely. He, I think, tweeted in support of the club. I think he's still active on social media, and whenever something yeah, good he, happens to Wigan, he does. He donated as well. I think he donated to the uh, to the fund, crowdfunding as well, like a lot of former players did. So it's that affinity, I think. Really, you don't. A lot of people don't lose it, you know. If you've been to Wigan, you, you know, all these interviews that we've had with people, they always talk about the greatest times in the career when they were playing for Wigan. Oh. So, past players putting that money in, it's just psychologically. Then it makes you know you think past player putting money in. So you know you you put in what you can afford, obviously. But I think the funniest one about the crowdfunder though was somebody tweeted Jermaine Defoe for for a laugh, and he said uh, said something about can you donate one thousand pounds for the uh, for the five goals all all the oh, five yes. goals that you scored the against us in the number yeah. one, and he did he did oh. it. So fair, fair play to, and he's done a lot of good stuff in his time because I know he was very Bloody supportive. Nary. 
you know, they get a lot of stick, the Huntley footballers, but I think there's some really, there's some nice guys around, really. Like, like there are in any walks of life. There's always some bad ones in any walks of life, but I think, I think a lot of footballers, you know, that it's really good to see, you know, all these former players putting in donations. And, you know, that was phenomenal, you know, in total, raising over 800,000. <laughs> it's just madness, really. That is mad. Is. That can buy a mansion in Wigan. £100,000. Um, let's go back. Buy a, lot, a lot of pies. Buy a lot of pies. Oh, yes. I'm trying, I've just had dinner, so I'm trying not to mention the pies too much. And someone might be listening to this um, on an empty stomach. But yes, well, apparently... Bit, well, I, I empathise with that because I haven't had my uh, food yet. So, OK, uh, well, I, I won't tell you what Kevin Day wrote in his book, uh, calling the pies 10 out of 10 at the DW. <laughs> Northern Premier winners in 1975 and thus elected to the Football League, promoted to the third division in 1982 and then won the third division in 1996-97. Who were fans more excited about going to see every week? Graham Jones, who scored 31 goals uh, that season, who is now the number two, it may be the number one by the time this comes out at Newcastle, or the Spanish duo of Diaz and Martinez? Uh, well, Diaz and Martinez, we had them the season previous to that, which was just absolute madness. <laughs> I mean, you'll, I'm sure you've seen the old footage of when they first arrived yeah. in Wigan, and, and they actually, t- you know, they went tasting a pie as well, which I thought was hilarious. Uh, the three amigos, it was like the first of the the Bosmans, but yeah. the, probably the first of them that were coming in coming into the lower leagues, because obviously there were a few famous Bosmans probably at the time signing in the Premier League, but to get three Spanish players to come into a fourth-tier side, the old fourth division, Diaz, Martinez and Sabre. I mean, Sabre came with the biggest reputation. He was uh, under-21 Spanish international, but I just don't think he settled quite as much into the football. But Diaz's first season was top scorer. Uh, Martinez was just running games. He was just quality, absolute quality in the in the centre midfield, you know, Really, really good player to watch. We didn't go up the first season with the three three amigos because we probably, with with Diaz as a winger being the top scorer with, what, 13, 14 goals, as we talked about earlier, you know, if you don't have uh, that top scorer, you, you, you don't quite get there or you might sneak into a playoff and then be under pressure. Whereas Graham Jones came in, then record signing 150,000 uh, 31 goals. I mean, what what can you say about that? I mean, comfortably the best uh, individual season that a, a Wigan goal scorer has had. I think in terms of you know legendary status, yes, of course he's up there. But I think Martin has lasted a bit a bit longer. But then they were reunited, of course, as, oh, <laughs> as the management. Yes, as the management duo. Yeah. yeah, he was the number. That's why he was the number two. Yeah, yeah, and he, he went over to Bay. He did it, uh, Belgium for a bit. He was number two at Belgium. Yep. Uh, and he's and obviously Sean Maloney. Sean Maloney, who was at, at Wigan, is now the number two. So it's just uh, Martin is obviously the players and the people that he works with. It's good, isn't it? That he's got that kind of loyalty and trust. For Maloney's them. number two at Belgium. Yeah, if he's not, he, he might. If he's not number two, he's in the coaching. So yeah, he's yeah. in. He's definitely. He's definitely sat next to him. He's not just uh, completely in the background. He's. He's in there. He's, you see him in the dugout. So he's. He's obviously got a, 
a key role. That's very interesting. Be, you might want to check. You might want to check. I might have promoted him there. But I'm sure I think I'll ask. Bothered. I'll ask the progress with Unity chaps, and they can pick you up on <laughs> your error. Uh, you were level on points with Fulham, but Fulham's goal difference was better. So why did you finish champions? So I actually set that in the in the quiz that that uh, Kevin Day actually did to help us with the fundraising. And I said I did a Wigan in the nineties quiz, and I said what was unusual about Wigan's title win in the ninety-seven season, and the fact was that I think for only the second, I think it was only twice in history that that mechanism was used to separate teams, and it was goals scored. So despite Fulham having a better goal difference, Wigan had scored more goals. And because it was be- the the tiebreaker that season was based on the number of goals scored rather than goal difference, Wigan took the title. <laughs> would Wigan have won on goal average as well? I haven't checked that properly. No, I don't think they would have. No, done probably that. not. If yeah, if more goals were scored in forty six games, yeah. so up went Wigan uh, with Dave Whelan's money. Fulham, of course, Mohamed Al Fayed. So was there a friendly rivalry as Wigan and Fulham went up and down and up and down and up and down with Fulham? Not quite, I don't think, because I think they were just a bit ahead because the, obviously the old fired money. I mean, I remember turning up. I mean, Whelan had been at Wigan for a couple of years and I remember going to Fulham for a game. That, but it was just bizarre that, like, before the game, Michael Jackson's doing a, a circuit of a perimeter With of the ground. Yeah, there's all, all that kind of stuff going on. You look at the team and you think, why me? You've got like Kevin Keegan sat in the manager's dugout, <laughs> and then you've got players like centre back Philip Albert, Steve Howie, I think, yeah, who come wow. from the Premier League. Yeah, Lee Clark was playing. They had up front, they had Horsfield, who had played a lot in the Premier League, and Barry Hales, I think, was playing. I was thinking to myself, why me? I said, we've got some good players, us, but these are just, just where. And they kind of they scooted up the leagues quicker than us, so it took us. What year? Fulham went up in 2001 to the Premier League. Took us till 2005, so they were a bit ahead of us. So I wouldn't say there was a bit of a rivalry that season, but bizarrely, they didn't have the um, the Alfayed money then because it was a bit of a shake. They had Mickey Adams was the manager, and as soon as Alfayed came in, he pretty much sacked him and obviously brought in Keegan, probably batting above their average when the you know, they, they finished second that season in, in what was Division 3 at the yeah. time. And up they went. And then when he, no, they didn't go up the first season when he took over, but I think Fulham went up the following season, I think. And then, like I said, they, they may have had one to, one season in whatever it was, Division 1, what's now the Championship. And I think, from memory, I think Fulham comfortably won the league one year. They just absolutely dominated yeah. it and got got promoted. We had some good games, but... The one of actually our bulky sides, bizarrely, because uh, we beat we beat them at the uh, what was it then the JJB Stadium that was actually our when I was start talking earlier about six wins in a row in the Premier League. Well, that was our fifth one, and Pascal Chimbonda, a player the, 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 who got our only player ever to make it into the Premier League team of the year yeah. that season, he scored a winning goal in injury time against Fulham, and that was the last time we actually beat them at, at home. Uh, and the last time we beat them at, at all was the um, the season following that at their place. So I think we'd gone something like 15 games without winning them. And then oh, we had uh, beating them and then we had to play them on the last day of the season last year, needing a win. And we just didn't quite get it. But we were playing the worst team, our bogey team, on the last day of the season <laughs> to stay in the championship. 
So it's just t- just typical. But yeah, we had a bit of a rivalry, but the rivalries were it's odd for Wigan because obviously the geographical rivalry was Bolton, but Wigan and Bolton didn't play from ninety three to two thousand and five. Uh, Preston even shot off. They, they 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 accelerated ahead of us, but then we then jumped over Preston. Um, so it's hard to say really with with rivalries for Wigan. It's a, it's a, it's an odd one because. Our trajectory was a bit odd in a way, the way that we went up, because we only had two years in the championship, so we didn't like have a, you know, that rivalry that you you, you yeah. sometimes get you're pushing for more year after year. You know, you, like your Brentford has probably got they've probably got clubs that the rivals. Oh, QPR, like, QPR and Brentford and yeah. Fulham, yeah, they're they're tricky. Yeah, but also yeah, you know, so the, historically, Wigan's rivals would have been. I'm not even going to guess at a non-league team playing in the 60s in the Northern Prem. I mean, obviously that was before my time, but I read obviously Wigan history books and Macclesfield were a good non-league side, so there there, there would be one. If you said like Wigan were the non-league kings of the north, I think I think for a while Wimbledon was seen, I think yes. as the kind of non-league mm-hmm. kings, and then Wigan were. If you were looking at the giant killers of the north, was Wigan, and then you had like kind of Yeovil at the more southern obviously it's west but obviously clearly more southern than Wigan and they were the kind of you know they, they were always seen as the side that the league clubs wanted to wanted to avoid but yeah I mean they probably had quite a lot of rivals really in because of non-league days I mean the second round of the FA Cup 1953 I think it was when there were 27,500 on for Wigan Athletic against Hereford two non-league sides I think it's still a record attendance for two non-league sides outside of Wembley. Now, I can't understand how they got 27,500 into Springfield Park because by the time I was watching them, the capacity, I think, was about 8,000. And when there was 8,000 in, it seemed like there were too many people. (laughs) Jesus, people on shoulders. I'm I'm sure there's a picture in there of of that game. And then came... Um, the promotion from League One or the second division, or Division Two, Division Two as it was then, with right, two former job. Watford players. Uh, I remember watching Watford play Newcastle. Nathan Ellington came on, and I said, "He is the only Watford player wearing long sleeves." Um, but this was before he converted to Islam, when he really was a top, top, top player. And you also had Peter Kennedy, ex of Peter Kennedy was. Uh, he scored a lot of goals, I think, yeah. for Watford, didn't he? A huge yeah. number of like goals, a- yeah. Probably like one of the first wing backs, really, wasn't it? That era where you kind of had, you, you know, they wouldn't necessarily play a left back, but wasn't maybe a traditional out out winger. Um, it was like a Reese James figure. Yeah, before probably, his time. Yeah. Um, and so, so up you went, 2003, two seasons in the second tier, and then up to the Premier League. Some of your players of the season are the Bermudian Jason Roberts, <laughs> who is. Yeah, yeah. Great player, great player. Yeah, really, really important signing for us. We signed him during our first season in the second tier of English football, halfway through. And he was always going to be a legend because his first touch of the ball was away at Deepdale in a local derby against Preston. He scored back heel into the net. And and to be honest, you, sometimes you say, well, it's all downhill from there. But for him, he just... Was was never down early. He was just a really good, strong player. Him and Ellington as a strike partnership. I don't think at that level. Even talking now about some of these partnerships, I don't think there's ever been 
at the second tier of English football, a better partnership than Robertson Ellington in that in that two thousand and four five um, promotion winning season. They were just unbelievable. The, the, the fact that the you know, often when you get like, say, you get a Sutton and a Shearer, you know, the Blackburn, you, you've got to give a lot of credit to your wingers. You know, the, the Ripley and Wilcox were crossing them in galore, and Robertson Ellington, they had some good players around them, but the chances that they created themselves, you know, just just from nowhere, they were just unbelievable, and probably the regret that I think most Wigan fans have, and probably Nathan Ellington himself, is that on the eve of the Premier League season, he moved to West Brom, you know, I think an agent turned his head, moved to West Brom and we never saw Robertson Ellington in the Premier League because I would have loved to have seen that just to see, you know, what, like what they would have been like at that level, you know, because you don't really see it that much anymore, do you strike partnerships? It's usually just one up front, isn't it, with a couple of wide players. Yeah, know, or a so 10, yeah. 10 that acts as an attacking midfielder like a Nick Powell figure. So yeah, yeah, the partnership has gone. <laughs> I'm going to ask you an impossible question. We're talking about strike partnerships, but you've got to select your best 11. But before we do that, uh, Ben Watson's header um, capped a a really wonderful day. I had a debenture, or rather Dad did. So I was at that final. uh, And two two things I remember. Big Ben with the header. But Joel Robles' save from Tevez, I think, is one of the best saves, because I was right behind it, I've ever seen. How he managed to divert the ball, it was either huge amounts of skill or he'd done some praying the night before. <laughs> yeah, it was... Uh, it, it's certainly the best, best thing I've ever seen with someone's feet. Yep. Um, but the thing is, is that you, you see that a lot more now and it's now seen as a great save. You know, I, uh, the, the best example is uh, the United keeper. You know, he, he saves loads with his, with his Big feet. Big Dave, yeah. You know, it's just a reaction, isn't it? And then the reaction and just to, to divert it over as well. And yeah, I mean, that, that that always gives you a bit of hope when you have saves like that on the, you know, on the day. I suppose it's like to win a match like that, somebody's got to do something like that, whether it be, you know, going back in history, that probably the last big upset before that was the Wimbledon 88. Where Precisely. Course, yeah, 25 years before. Yeah. saves a penalty. And the goal wasn't too dissimilar either. Yeah, uh, header over the top, yeah. Obviously a little bit earlier in the game than the Wigan one. But maybe that was the only way we were going to... uh, You wonder, don't you, if Watson had scored, or anyone had scored after 55 minutes or something for Wigan, would we have ended up winning? I mean, it's hard to say, isn't it, really? You you just don't, don't know, but... If you're going to score a goal in a cup final, you may as well score it in the 91st minute. And that's and so when Ben came to Watford, I thought that is a good signing. What was the date of the final, by the way? Yeah, it's coming up 11th of May. Yeah, we're speaking on the 10th. So happy anniversary. I hope you um, yeah, pour a glass for Wigan's Big Ben. Birthday. It was Wigan's birthday yesterday, actually. 89 years old yesterday. Oof, closing in on Captain Tom. Uh, yes. Um, so I wanted you before we selected your best 11, because I know it will contain players who didn't play in that final. But just run through 4-3-3, Joel Robles in goal. Uh, Your captain was Emerson Boyce, an interviewee on the Progress with Unity podcast. And then you had quite a cosmopolitan lineup. So can you name your 4-3-3 for the FA Cup final? So uh, Alcaraz and, and Sharna. I think actually it was probably more of a free. It was a, it was an odd. It's probably more of a free at the back, which that's probably what stumped me. It was uh, basically Boyce played as a right centre back, 
Then we had Alcaraz and Sharna, legend of the another legend. Two thousand eight player of the year. Yeah, and then very bizarrely, when we looked at the team sheet, because you wouldn't have thought we'd lined up like that. We we worked with because we had a lot of injuries as well at that time. So we had James MacArthur as playing as a kind of a right wing back, uh, who's been a, a phenomenal cent- central midfield player for Palace for the last few years in the Premier League, and at left wing back was. Um, Roger Espinosa because yeah. we'd lost our Jean Bozajor who was a quality wooden back we'd lost him so Espinosa slotted in slotted in the in the central midfield positions we had James McCarthy so commentator's yeah. nightmare McCarthy and MacArthur <laughs> both called James and then <laughs> Gomez next to them the lovely Jordi yeah, Gomez who mum yeah, mum fell in love with Jordi Gomez one year for some reason I can't think why yeah, okay. well, I tell you, that, that's an example of what we were saying earlier, though, yeah. where some fans who are not cultured, get rid of it, get rid of it. He was so good. He was a really good player, Jordi Gomez. So, yeah. Uh, and then it was kind of what you would say, Aruna Kone was kind of uh, on his own up front, but then with uh, support from Sean Maloney, maybe the assistant manager of Belgium. I will look that <laughs> up. Well, yeah, yeah, I'll look that up. Man of the match in the final, on the right-hand side, Callum McManaman. There was only one substitution made in, by Wigan, but a, I think, as he said, it was a very crucial substitution because Ben Watson uh, replaced Jordi Gomez. Then we had the event of uh, Zabaleta getting sent off. By McManaman. Uh, who, yeah, foul on McManaman, yeah, absolutely. Why did he dive in in the first place? He's an idiot. Well, yeah, he's on a yellow card as well. Yeah. I mean, to be honest, if that was his first one, You'd say, great, you've took one for the team. McManaman but that's what he did. The first one was taking it for the team. Yeah, but the second one, you think, what are you doing it again for? He's going to send you off if you do that. I mean, it was, uh, I mean, arguably, you could have given him a straight red for that. It was a, a red Oh, it was disgraceful. Tackle. And off he went. Yeah. And, that, and so, yeah, that created some space on the pitch and it meant you had an extra man for that corner. Did you sense that when Zabaleta sent up, was sent off, there was an inevitability about the result? Or did you think... I don't know, David Silva, Carlos Tevez, would, uh, Edin Zeko off the bench would help City win the game. It's a tough one, isn't it? Because ultimately, you know, City have excellent players, you know, and, and I'm sure that, you know, we're talking, that I think Man- Mancini was the manager, wasn't he? Although that was his last game, wasn't it? He, was, he, he stepped down, didn't he, after that game? But, you know, they've got, they've got a good manager, they had excellent players so you always think to yourself they'll get a chance I actually thought that if it went to extra time even with against 10 men I thought City might just just do it so when that corner was there I had a quick look I remember looking I'd, I'd obviously had a few uh, few beverages that day enjoying the uh, the occasion um, but I remember thinking to myself there's not long left here just put a good ball in you know, how frustrated is it in the last minute when... Who put the ball in? Sean Maloney. Maloney. McManaman, won, McManaman won the corner. And I think the commentary, I think the Tilsley commentary was Maloney's corner in towards Watson. And then and then there's a goal. Obviously, you've got other commentators available. On, I think Martin Tyler was working for some international broadcaster on it as well. So, uh, you get all, you get, get them all, but... 
you know, I went with the IT. It's a pity it wasn't on the BBC, really, isn't mm. it? Because it'd just be always, it's almost like it's mentioned, but it's not played very often. So. Uh, for obvious reasons. Uh, you mentioned Clive Telsey, not for me, Clive, uh, is in the football library as we speak because it's just come out. Uh, are there any Wigan Athletic books that have been written? Uh, I can tell you there are two. There's one called Northern Soul, uh, which is Ed Jones, who I think was the press yeah. officer, and he taught. It was Paul Jewell. I think Wigan had just gone up to the Premier League. I don't remember too much about the book. Maybe you can refresh my memory. There's Let's Hang On. That's basically kind of an account of our 2002-03 season. And, and, and the reason that it's called Let's Hang On is because that was the song that was synonymous with Wigan that year. We were singing Let's Hang On to what we've got. Because we just, I don't know how many games we won 1-0 that season. You know, I think we only conceded nine goals away from home. So it's like an account, really, of different moments within that season. You know, and the fun that people had, you know, going watching Wigan. Uh, I remember going down to QPR, actually, on uh, when it was the uh, anti-Iraq war protest. So we, got, we, we set off in good time and then ended up getting stuck in traffic and... Uh, you know, almost to the point that we uh, we missed the kickoff. What do you mean <laughs> a million was... people didn't go to Loftus Road that day? They were going to Hyde Park instead. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then <laughs> we played in a red kit for the only time that season, and uh, bizarrely went in off Nathan Ellington's shoulder. <laughs> uh, I think in, in modern times, if that was in the Premier League, yeah. there'd be about ten minutes looking at that to see whether there's any where they can. It. Well, that's why I'm not keen on next season. It's a horrible thing to say, but it's great that Watford have a £150 million cash injection potentially to move the stadium. But yeah. vid- video assistance is a pain and referees are a pain and it matters more because goals are more rare now. And we've got to keep hold of Ismail Assar and get in five more defenders and see what to do with the goalkeeper. So Watford will be interesting next year. Uh, as will Wigan, uh, there is no European football. Uh, that The week that uh, Wigan won the FA Cup, of course, a few days later, after eight years, the Premier League stay came to an end. It is interesting because Progress with Unity started in the 2012-13 series, so you can listen to your reactions uh, to that week, the yeah, joy I, I of the final. There, I, hadn't been, I hadn't been signed up then to the... Uh, I, I, I arrived... Um, about five years ago on, on the podcast, I used to listen to it. So some really good stuff that I used to just enjoy listening to it. And then I just thought, I'll come on and do a guest appearance. Uh, I think I think I was like, I ended up going down to South End, I think. And I was the only person, none of the podcasts had gone down. So I said, I'll come on and do like my, what I called the off the terrace report. And unfortunately, it was nil-nil at South End and nothing happened, really. No. <laughs> Baptism of fire is yeah. to uh, do a report on something that didn't ha- didn't actually have anything occurring in it. So I, I haven't been there as long. Though. Barry and Paul, mainstays. Simon, Simon's been there a long time. We've also got young, young Adam as well uh, to differentiate from me. Um, and then... We, we always try and rotate around. We're, we're all, people are always welcome to come on, other fans. You know, sometimes when they don't agree with us, we'll let them come on, you know, because it's not a close shot. Uh, and then, of course, as you've already alluded to, you know, we've had, we've had some good guests on. Yeah. Have, uh, you, have you had Stuart McConey on yet? His book, The Pyatt Knight, talks about the North at play, and there is a chapter dedicated to 
the DW. Of course, he has a pie and watches the football under the floodlights. <laughs> yeah, I don't, I, I, if we have, it's certainly not been in my tenure. I don't think so. I don't think so either. The, I remember meeting him at, uh, well, not meeting him, I remember watching him at uh, Edge Hill. He's an Ed Hill alumni, and he, he came in, and I think it was when he was 125 years of Ed Hill. He, he, we had a number of people coming in doing talks, and Stuart McCorney was one of one of them that who came in that uh, that year. So, who knows? Who knows what he might might be on there in in years to come? I mean, hopefully we don't have to have too many. No offence to Kieran Maguire, but hopefully we don't have to have too many football finance experts on in the. No, <laughs> yes. The well, that, that's what they've said, as you know. Kevin and Kieran have said we want to keep going until there is no demand for us, and then they can. March off yeah. to the sunset. Uh, is there a dream interviewee whom you haven't spoken to just yet? Roberto, I think, would be. Roberto Martinez. I think in the short term, one that we haven't had on yet is, of course, Mr. Liam Richardson. Uh, yep, so, you can get it. He's not doing very much. He's just trying to build a promotion-winning side. Yeah, yeah. So in terms of, yeah, I mean, mine's always about Wigan sort of legends, really. You know, everybody would have different views on who they'd love to have on a podcast, but at the end of the day, it's a football podcast. You know, some some people do it differently, and that's fair enough. You know, they'll have a bit of entertainment, a bit of music in, but I was his... That was his football, really, so it's pure football. It's pretty much pure Wigan. We might talk about an issue of the day, but trust me, when you're a Wigan Athletic supporting, you've got enough content week in, week out. Watford, <laughs> never, yes. Never <laughs> Watford and Wigan share one thing in common, and that is a short run in the second-tier UEFA competition. Uh, Watford played in the 83-84 UEFA Cup, Wigan played in what was the Europa League 2013-14, although I'm sorry you didn't get to 2014, which is a horrible thing for me to say. But the FA Cup win meant you qualified for Europe. Three draws, two defeats and a home win against Maribor. Was that the high point of Whelan's reign, taking Wigan Athletic into European competition and winning against the Slovenian champions? The highlight of, well, there was two for me for Wheel and the, the, the 2005 promotion because he always said when he took over in 1995, fourth bottom of the league, stadium falling to pieces, we're going to be in the Premier League in 10 years. Same thing with Elton. <laughs> exactly the same thing. He said, right, yeah. the dog track's got to go. We need better stadium and we need to get the youth in. And they did it yeah. within six years. Exactly, yeah, exactly. So there was obviously that, then the FA Cup final. But in terms of pride, I think when Emerson Boyce led them out uh, in Belgium, we had to play in Bruges because Zulta Verragam's ground wasn't up to UEFA standard. But I mean, I went that day. What? What? A, if you go to have a first tie in Europe, you couldn't get a better draw really than a team in Belgium because because <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, anybody who's been to Belgium knows that the let's just say the beers are a couple of percent uh, higher than mm-hmm. our. I've beers. never been. Oh, I have been. Yeah. I've been to Ypres. We, we, we stayed beautiful place, Bruges stayed there. I mean, I've been to Brussels, which is, is, is good, but capital cities don't. For me, I, I prefer the Flemish cities of Belgium. And yeah, Bruges was great. And just, it was just bad, it? You know, in a European city of Bruges, some call it the, the kind of the Venice of Northern Europe, and you've got 3,000 Wiganers in the square. <laughs> that was the biggest, biggest away attendance uh, in the group stages, actually, that year, it was just unbelievable, you know, that we'd taken so many fans and it chucked it down all day. Wiganers who'd been drinking most of the day then got to the ground 
and actually throw rubbing their hands together thinking and this wasn't me because being a sad sports lawyer I knew that the UEFA had dry stadiums but they were serving non-alcoholic beer and it obviously confused a few Wiganers and they, they, they thought it was the greatest thing ever. They could sit <laughs> in the seats and watch the football with the beer. So oh, yeah. whether, it, whether it had the placebo effect, I don't know. I but, think they were uh, just the, the chemicals that were going through the head because obviously um, having come from watching Stockport, no offence, Stockport and uh, Kidderminster Harriers to watching... United, Chelsea, Arsenal, Bruges. This football club, someone has to write a book. I don't know if it's going to be you or one of your Progress with Unity colleagues, but the recent history of Wigan since Dave Whelan with the IEC era that we're desperately trying not to mention because I do want people to listen. Uh, to the saviours who are, I'll try and get their names right, you can help me, Abdul Al-Jazmi, who's the owner, and yeah. is it Tatal Al-Hamad? Yeah, that's course enough. Who's the CEO. If you were to ask him or demand from him one thing, that's the CEO rather than the owner, what would you say to him? Prudent. Be prudent with the club. You know, you know you're not here. You know, as often Kieran Maguire always alludes to, is the fact that, you know, you, you're custodians of the club. Prudent. Be prudent, really. If you want to spend, spend within the means. Keep it. Keep the club going. Keep the keep the economy going. But prudent. That's that's for me. I'm happy with. I'm happy with that. The days of being extravagant and big spends for me are long gone now. I think uh, stability. So prudency and stability really for Very me. Good. But he's a character. Though. I like him. He's already on his social media. He likes some of the Wig- he likes the Wigan songs and he. He's tweeting up the ticks and things like that. So he, you know, he's getting he's getting involved. You know, and and we've already met. Uh, we've already met Mal Branningham as well. He's going to pretty much be running the day-to-day things as um, CEO, and he's got some, you know, good ideas. But also, he seems very keen to have fan involvement. He wants a fans advisory board, but he wants a fans advisory board that sets the agenda for the good. meeting as well. That's brilliant. So that, that that sounds very good. And then we've got some interesting, you know, other people in the work lurking in the background as well. We've got the guy who's kind of got provides all the data from uh, you know for the championship manager, so it's got all the. Oh, wow. um, I saw so it. that mean, yeah, mm. we've got the got like the stats and 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 that you know everything as you know these days is data driven. You know the data of having hundreds of scouts around, you know just uh, just going looking at, at players. They're they're gone now, aren't they? It's uh, everything's data driven, mm. and if you can. If you've got people who've got good access to data, which it was a bit like the kind of the Brentford model, really, wasn't it? They, they and it's working, isn't it? I mean, the saleable assets that they managed to produce year in year out. That, that for me would be, if I was looking for a model club who maybe would want to be, would be a Brentford, really, because if you can, if you can make that one sale a year, you know, Morpe, Watkins, um, Tony will be next. Got, oh, Tony next. Who? Bizarrely, was on loan at Wigan in League One, and we sent him back in December because he wasn't doing anything. Which is just absolute. So, so far, it sounds good. And, and don't get me wrong, I, I, I thought to an extent the same about uh, the previous regime in terms of the ones who were running it on a day-to-day basis. They sounded sensible. They were talking about like what they called the Jamie Vardy model. You know, where you look at players who had to drop down a few leagues because the late developers bringing them through 
And again, that was worth all, all players have been released from Premier League clubs. And we were doing that. We'd had Anthony Robinson from Everton. Uh, we signed him for two million. There were reports in January he was going to AC Milan for ten million, mm-hmm. but failed the medical. Of course, we get relegated, and he's got a buyout clause of uh, two million. So we we basically lose all that money. But the the model was there. But the difference with these is that we we're, we're hearing from the, the ultimately the people who have the money. And we didn't with IEC. We didn't hear from the people who had the money. They were just where, you know, and, and sometimes you don't need to hear from them. With hindsight, you're starting to think to yourself, well, hmm, if we're never hearing from them at all, you do worry a bit. Are they becoming disengaged? Are they just thinking they can come in, throw £8 million a year, is, which was the minimum they had to throw, and we'll be a Premier League team? It doesn't work like that. So it doesn't work. I've heard rumours that some clubs have come in. I think it might have been the Venkies at Blackburn yeah. that they didn't know about relegation. Yes, famously. <laughs> yeah. So mm-hmm. it's, it, it, at least these people they do, they know the football. I mean, we tell our we 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 he wouldn't do he wouldn't come on the podcast in Perth, which is fair enough. I can completely understand that. But he, to be fair to him, he said, "Drop me some questions in an email, and I'll answer as honestly as I can." And you know, he's saying that. He knew of Wigan because of the Premier League when we had Amiyazaki there, Egyptian, yeah. uh, you know. So it, it sort of, you know, they knew who we were. Ali Al Habzi, you know, another one, you know. So there's there's there's, there's links there. They sound like they know what Wigan is, you know. They know what the people are like, and and they've done the research, and they found a club that they think can work for them, uh, and they've put in what looks a very strong directorship in place as well looks very positive at the moment I'm, I'm quite excited about what the future holds at the moment and, so, if, and uh, if they if they do anything wrong the MP will knock on their door I know she, her, <laughs> Lisa Nandy's brief is the world because she's the shadow foreign secretary but she seems to be represented she's getting the consistently over 20,000 votes even though the majority is a bit smaller I think she's got a, a safe seat so it's yeah, great to see Lisa yeah. there. Well, Bizarrely, she had she had some uh, serious foreign office matters uh, in the middle of one of our podcasts and just had to leave. Fair <laughs> <laughs> enough, really. Isn't no, it? Of, of all the excuses. Um, so you do get Adam Pendlebury your laminated football library card, so you can peruse the shelves. Uh, but before you go, as quickly as you can, your Wigan eleven from the lifetime of watching the Latics. This can change, can't it? Yeah, from, it always uh, does. Yeah. yeah. But, uh, this, so if you've got to check it off against the one that I've done on the podcast, it might be a little bit different. Anyway, so in, in goal will be the aforementioned Ali Al-Habsi. Uh, at, at right back, I'm going to play Rhys James. The centre-back partnership will be Emerson Boyce and Ariane Zoo. Nothing's getting past them. Yeah, and the left-back will be Leighton Baines. And then I'm going to play a... Uh, three-man uh, midfield, Jordi Gomez, James MacArthur, you know, quality, well-established uh, Premier League midfielder. This is always the tough one when I never really know who to pick in this position. But for me, this is one that's changed because of the way he was towards the end of last season. But he is an international player as well. I would now have Sam Morsey. In the, who captained us last year through the uh, the administration and through that end of season, which I thought he was phenomenal with that. So sorry to Mr. Watson. <laughs> he's all right. He's a super sub. You're allowed a number twelve. 
All oh, right, okay. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah. yeah. And then uh, forward players were certainly not short, short of uh, forward players. Uh, my central striker uh, would be uh, Jason Roberts, uh, just simply because he, what, what built, um, beats Ellington is the fact that he did have that season in the Premier League with us. I'd have to have in the because he was quality for us, Charles and Zogbia as like a left-sided forward. And then the right-sided forward would be Antonio Valencia. So there's there's a number of notable absentees there. As I said, Andy Liddell's not there, Nathan Ellington's not there, James McCarthy, Ben Watson, Callum McManam and Victor Moses. Peter Atherton, who was actually uh, one of my favourite players back in the early 90s, who played 500-and-odd Premier League games, um, you can't pick everyone, can you? You have to. You have to disappoint some well, players. Well, no, that's say, the, in my book. The last chapter is a parlour game, which is you've got to tell one of Maradona, Cruyff, Van Basten, Zico, Pele, Rivaldo <laughs> that they can't play. Who do you pick, Cantona, Charlton? <laughs> it's a parlour game. It, it doesn't have a right answer, and you're allowed one personal pick. Um, so that's my book that I'm not here to talk about. I do hope there is a Progress with Unity book. There is a website, progresswithunity.blogspot.com. Do you contribute to that? Yeah, yeah, I've done written bits. Barry's the main man. He, like, he does the writing. But yeah, I, I think sometimes when writing, writing's kind of your career, uh, you sometimes think... Bossman's holiday. Bossman's holiday, yeah. But I do want to write. I do want to write more. And I'm getting involved more this year as well with the sort of supporters club I'm quite passionate about football as a whole so I want to get involved and, and be that link between sort of Wigan and the Football Supporters Association who've been very good to us sort of through the the administration you know the people there have, have helped us helped us out a lot and I'd like to sort of get involved in that a bit so that will help me maybe write little bits and pieces but there is definitely a book that um, there's a book there for the last 12 months to be honest it's you could you could pull it from any discipline or it could be interdisciplinary you know you could have sociology legal financial there's so many angles that you could cover the last 12 months from well i would love to if i were to research the legal aspect i would log on to edge hill edge with an e not as in richard edge hill dot ac dot uk winner of the university of the year according to the educate north awards uh, and one of the best value accommodations in the UK as well. So if you want to go live in Ormskirk, um, on St. Yeah. Ellen's Road in Lancashire, oh, that's Rugby League Town, Ormskirk, <laughs> Lancashire, St. Ellen's Road. Yeah, quick, quick mention as well for the, because uh, within Edgehill, we, we work at Centre for Sports Law Research, and my esteemed colleagues, Prof- Professor Richard Parrish and Andrea Catania, they've just recently written a report into uh, football agents that was uh, funded by the uh, Commission, so... Uh, it's certainly worth checking that out because it's always a topical area, isn't it, football agents? So there's lots of good stuff from different national associations that they've looked at, different member states. Uh, as we, of course, we're not one anymore, but uh, mm. if you're interested in how agency works in other countries and on a global level, it's certainly worth worth looking at that. So plug, don't plug my own work, I plug to my colleagues. <laughs> you, you're very, very good at what you do. <laughs> Adam Pendlebury, uh, best of luck. I hope you have some kind of summer. I know finals is going to be quite tough. Although it, we've just been told today that if you so wish, you can teach in person uh, on the day that this comes out, the 17th of May. Will you be doing so? Well, unfortunately, pretty much everything everything that we need to do that would have been face-to-face has now finished. Yeah. 
we, we're wrapping it up. So they're all doing the final assignments now. As we speak, the, stu- the students are, well, not as we speak, but they were earlier. Well, actually, it could be as we speak because they get the way we're doing it at the moment is a 24-hour paper that's that they have to email in. So mm. by the time the 17th hits, we've pretty much finished. So, yeah, uh, yeah apart from the – we're reopening for uh, things like open days and the like. So I'll be making a return to campus. It looks uh, beautiful, soon. the campus on the website. Oh, You've caught a rare camp. sunny day on the West Coast. You know, it's funny. There's a coincidence. Every time we take a marketing picture, it's always sunny. Yeah, <laughs> sounds out. You're, you're, you're very welcome. You're very welcome to visitors anyway at Edshaw. Ed We're a very friendly university. Bless you, and I guess the nightlife is top notch as well up there. Yeah, it's Omscot. Yeah, I know. Uh, I know a few places that you can get something nice, nice to eat, and a few nice pubs. Yeah, Which are all like open it. today as well. The seventeenth, you can eat indoors. Of at course, a restaurant. yeah, yeah. Get back in, support your pub. <laughs> yeah. So progress with Unity should have a season-ending dinner. Uh, to toast the new CEO of a soon-to-be-promoted back to the championship, Wigan Athletic. The Latics are staying up. Absolutely, yeah. Just like the library! Just like the library! Just like the library!